Well, folks, this is it. I'm Open Mike Eagle, and this is what it happened was season two, and this happens to be the finale. This is the last one, my last conversation with LP, charting the course of his career up until this day. Oh, man, it sucks. The last ones suck for me for doing them. They're probably pretty okay for the audience, for the listeners. You get to put a bow on things. You get closure. I don't get closure. These things live in my heart forever. I want to give a few shouts out on the way um, into and out of the last one. And in this one, we will be covering one of the Jules 4. And I'm also going to ask a variety of other questions covering stuff like High Water, covering stuff like Little Johnny from the Hospital, the last Company Flow album, stuff that it's it wasn't so easy to build a full episode around. I probably could have talked about RTJ4 for a while, but since it's the last episode, I want to make sure I got uh, some more stuff in. So we asked some more questions, and, and, you know, we just let L get some more shit off. You know what I'm saying? Let him get some more shit off. But some shouts out. A big fat shout out to Jake Bowman. Jake Bowman has been the engineer for this season, uh, and he's done an amazing job. And this, this podcast, the assembling of the audio takes a lot of time and energy, there's rounds and rounds of, of edits that take place between the original recording of me and Elle's conversation and the final version that you hear. And all of the music drops you hear in the transitions with the ads and everything. That's Jake. Shout out to Jake. Jake is on Twitter and get at Jake for your, uh, for your audio engineering needs if you're, if you're local to Southern California. He's also a dope producer as well. Um, wanted to give a shout out to L for fucking making himself physically, psychologically, emotionally available enough to sit here and dredge up all of this stuff from his past when I know that's not easy to do. And I want to thank him for being um, involved and active in the promotion of it as well. It's been a big help. And, you know, this this season has been very successful in no small part to his efforts. So I definitely want to make sure I shout that out. Um and one more thing I wanted to do is I wanted to um, give a quick moment, a rest in peace for Jason Smith. Jason Smith was my partner in Stony Island Audio. He uh, worked at Starburns Audio. He was the CEO of Starburns Audio. And he uh, saw what I was doing and invited me to Starburns to start my own network. And days before the season started, just Days before the season started this season, he passed away suddenly, leaving behind a wife and a child. And um, it has been so weird, you know, keeping this pushing without him because he was so involved in the processes of this network and especially this show. He put a lot of effort, a lot of his brain energy, a lot of resources into this show. Um, so I just wanted to make some space to, to say that I've been wanting to say something all season. I just, it didn't feel like the right time because, um, the stuff that we're doing with Ellis is celebrating him and I didn't want to take away from any of that, but I did want to give, give a shout, uh, in this case, a shout to the beyond for some, from somebody who, um, really is a large part of this, a large part of the reason why this, this podcast exists. Um, yeah, so we're going to get into it. We're going to talk to L about Run the Jewels 4. We're going to talk about High Water. We're going to talk about Little Johnny from the Hospital. This is part of Stony Island Audio Network. 
which is a home for all sorts of podcasts in the hip-hop space. Super Duty Tough Work. The Fatherhood's Pie. Can't Knock the Shuffle, which just had its season finale with Dante Ross. Uh, Dad by Rap Pod, Self Quar. A new show called Creativity and Captivity. And another new show, The Raw Report with Dice Raw, which just premiered um, last week. So get at that. Dice Raw from the Legendary Roots crew. Before we get to the episode, though, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, ExpressVPN. Um, sometimes I like to watch uh, old movies from my childhood to help me feel my feelings. I have problems with that. So sometimes I like to um, find something I used to enjoy in my childhood and sit and watch it and it'll help me cry. Um, in this case, I wanted to watch the animated G.I. Joe movie from 1987, and Netflix don't have it, and Hulu don't have it, and Amazon don't have it. I couldn't even buy it nowhere to stream it on my television, and I was upset, and I put that on Twitter, and um, somebody in my comments was like, have you ever heard of ExpressVPN? And they was trying to be funny, but they was right. Okay, they was right. And I had the answer under my nose the whole time because ExpressVPN is what I was able to use to watch the movie I needed to watch to feel my feelings. Okay, and this is why you should use ExpressVPN and not other VPNs. ExpressVPN doesn't log your activity online. Lots of cheaper free VPNs make money by selling your data to advertisers, but ExpressVPN doesn't do this. They even developed a technology trusted server that makes their VPN servers incapable of storing any data at all. Speed, ExpressVPN now uses Lightway, a new VPN protocol they engineer to make user speeds faster than ever. I've tried a couple of VPNs in the past, and sometimes they can slow my shit down, okay? But ExpressVPN is always blazing fast and lets me stream my movies for my feelings in HD quality with no buffering. Okay, and it's easy to use. No technical skills needed. Just fire up the app, tap one button, and you are connected. Your grandmama can use it. Your child can use it if they know how to push a button. Okay. And it's not just me saying this. CNET, The Verge, and many other tech journals rate ExpressVPN the number one VPN in the world. So protect yourself with the VPN that I use and trust. Use my link expressvpn.com slash what today and get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash what. Visit expressvpn.com slash what to learn more we'll get back into it in one second but i need to take a quick moment and shout out our sponsor distro kid man so many of my homies use distro kid it's a music distribution service that makes distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping a hundred percent of their royalties and earnings a million plus artists rely on distro kid to put their music on spotify apple music youtube tiktok title instagram and all the major streaming services a million plus artists, and I swear I know at least a hundred of them. And now DistroKid has an app. You can use the app to upload new releases, see your DistroKid bank, and get notified when you've earned royalties. You can even check your streaming stats live. The DistroKid app is now available on iOS. Go to the App Store and download it. DistroKid also has a new feature called Instant Share that allows you to easily share large files securely with collaborators, producers, booking agents, managers, playlist curators, and more. Basically, anybody that needs access to your music, there's an easy way to upload it and send them a link. Go to distrokid.com slash instant share, drag and drop your files to upload, and then you can copy and send your link right there. It's free to send one gigabyte of files. That's like 100 MP3s. Don't quote me on that. 
Go to distrokid.com slash open mic. That's distrokid.com slash open mic. O-P-E-N-M-I-K-E for 30% off your membership. And here we are, y'all. It's the finale. It's me and LP. One last go round. This is what it happened was. Yeah, deluxe labor, the underground undertaker, the whole cape is independent as fuck flavor. Audio exhibit, visit the history to him winning without fucking with the industry. And him losing without fucking with the industry. No illusion, we tracing every movement in the symphony. This is official from lifting of pencils Cold flow the depth jucks up to the fist and the pistol I'm sending questions like infinite missiles Digging for details when stories from the past come up And if he don't remember then he has to shrug It's what the podcast does, what it happened was Oh man! So here we are. This is this is it, dude. I know, man. This is this is the last one. It's it's almost sentimental. It is. If I didn't hate myself talking so much, it would <laughs> it would be sentimental. Like I, I like I'll miss you. I won't I won't miss me. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. For, further conversations we have cannot be for the world to hear, which which will be probably a little easier. Than, yeah, than, yeah, than yeah. This. Damn, we waited a while too to do this one, huh? Yeah, I think That's, it's funny. Was that I don't my bad. Nah, I think it was it was just both of us and me trying to keep the machine running, and because I don't think yeah. we've done one since since we started putting them out. Nah. Yeah. Nah. This will be the first one that's mildly current. Where, right. You know, every other one there's like a little hint of. <laughs> It's not the, the past. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I almost did some shit today where I put out a question of like, oh, doing the last one today. See if you guys want to ask anything. But then I started thinking about, no, I don't want that. I don't want them kind of problems. Yeah. You'll definitely get a bevy of questions for sure. Yeah. And uh, there's a couple that we're going to work in today. Um, we're going to cover Run the Jewels 4. And then we're going to get into some questions that people have been bugging me about and, and, and try to wrap up like that. Um, but we can kick it off. Um, Run the Jewels four, which I mean, wow, it just turned a year old. Yeah, it did. Um, so George Floyd is murdered May twenty sixth, twenty twenty. This album drops June third, mm-hmm. and I know it's been said um, by you and many people who have asked you about how prescient it seemed for some of the subject matter that's, that's, that's on the album. But mm-hmm. what I'm really more curious about is just for you all as a group and you as a as a creator, what did it feel like to release um, a project into a fully chaotic and on fire and broken world? I mean, there's so many levels to that answer that I might give. The first level is that um, one of the contributing factors mm-hmm of us saying, fuck it, we'll risk this record falling flat during a time when there can't be any real promotion was George Floyd's murder. Mm. And also everyone's murder. <laughs> it wasn't, you know, um, right. it, it, it was what was happening in America in general. This was one of the reasons why we decided like, yo, let's put this shit out. Now it's bigger than um, 
it's bigger than what we might lose from a badly timed campaign. There's two right. versions of timing. There's timing of humanity and history and um, emotion and intent. And then there's timing of business and strategy and campaign and money and all that bullshit. That factored in, weighed in to us deciding, you know, that we wanted mm-hmm. to, to drop in first. So we knew that we had a record on our hands right. that surprisingly all of a sudden was so goddamn on the nose in terms of the way that we were feeling and in terms of what was going on. We already knew it was because that's the history of the world. Mm-hmm. But where everybody's consciousness was at that moment, again, we felt like somehow we had a record that would do something for people at that time, at that moment. It made it that much more important for us right. to drop it. And it was that in a combination of just wanting the fans to have a record. Already all of our plans were destroyed right. by COVID in terms of the releasing of the records. Internally, that was like a, a thing that hit us kind of in March. Um, we were supposed to drop the record April. I see. Yeah. Now we were going to drop it the day that we were playing the main stage before Rage at Coachella. And we were going to drop it on that day. A gutsy move. One that we were... <laughs> one, <laughs> One that we were all, you know, pretty psyched about. And then it became clear to us, we were in LA, and it became clear to us that uh, this shit was maybe not just the regular flu, you know, yeah. whatever. Um, and, you know, we had already, like, shot the La La video. I had been in LA training. Me and Zach were going to the trainer every day for, like, two months. I quit smoking. I was like, oh, oh. it's about to be on. Yeah, it was making real, real life changes to get ready to go on the road. We were going to jumped his tour off right after Coachella. For Run the Jewels 4, we ended up going with BMG, who okay. is who is technically an independent label at this point because they're now independently owned. You know, they're not they're not in a major label system, but they have the power of the force of a major label. The infrastructure um, of a one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We were just like, all right, well, point being, we had to kind of treat it a little bit more like, okay, there's a traditional rollout which is something right. that previous to that, we never really had to think about that at all. You know, we were like, oh, we're just going to jump street day, drop the shit, you know, yeah. whenever we want. Yeah. Run the Jewels 1, we dropped it, no one was expecting it. Run the Jewels 2, we were literally on tour. I think we were drunk when we decided to drop <laughs> You know? <laughs> Always when the best decisions yeah, are made. Yeah, we were like, you know, let's do it, let's drop it, fuck it! <laughs> Much to the chagrin of our extended team, Run the Jewels 3, we jumped street date again and dropped it on Christmas Eve. So we never had any type of consideration for too much of a plan. But when you fuck with somebody who's got, you know, 2,000 employees and they're giving you a big marketing budget and you got, you know, seemingly have resources that are going to be bigger than what you had before, you can't really just operate like a rogue cell completely. You know, you got to have a rollout and you got to have a plan and et cetera, et cetera. All that bullshit that everybody has to do. When there's like legitimate, like motherfuckers, like, uh, you know, pensions or, you know. Right. Um, right. So we were proceeding that way. We were proceeding like that's what was happening. And we were like, oh, well, this is going to be different. This is a change. You know, we've got to like set a date and stick to it and, you know, roll it mm-hmm. out precisely. And everybody, you know, singles, announcements, everything, that whole singles routine. and shows and things and the blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, just kind of get, get the ball rolling in a way ahead of time that we knew what was going to happen from our end. And of course, mm-hmm. then destiny and life just sweeps in and it's like, right. actually, don't worry about it, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all those plans, 
are fucked on a level that you couldn't even imagine. Like, oh, you're jumping street date. We're jumping tour date two years into the future. Wow. We, yeah. You know, it was suggested to us that we wait until the next year. It was wow. suggested to us because a lot of artists did that. A lot of artists right. were, you know, big artists were confronted with the reality, which was internally in the industry. Everyone was starting to murmur and kind of know that it was unlikely that shows were happening that year, not even just that summer. And I think, you know, just for people who don't really understand, that is leaving a lot of money on the table. Yeah. Right? Like, people people may not really understand how big of a deal that is yeah. to release something when you know you can't tour it versus when you know you could. Exactly. So that's exactly what a lot of, of big artists in the industry did. They just canceled their plans. Like, yo, I can't, right. I, I can't risk it. We're going to have to push this back to next year when we know or when we suspect it'll be different. No one knew, of course. We still don't know. And we were looking at releasing a record and not being able to tour it. And for us as a touring mm -hmm. group, we fought really hard to get to a point where we're a big touring entity. And, right. you know, just as people, it's like, yeah, that's, that's my job. You do the record and then you go go to work. You punch the clock right. and, you, and you work for however long they'll let you, essentially. Exactly. You know? exactly. Um, it's like, hey, can I tour this shit for six months? Can I tour for a year? Or can I go to every territory? Right. Or am I just relegated to a couple of runs? The touring was really the bread and butter for us. That was always sort of the thought. It was why we had the leeway to drop the record and not worry too much about counting pennies, um, giving the record away for free, all that. You know, most people balk at that because that's like, oh, shit, that's where I make my pennies. That's right. important. We had gotten to the point where we were all about making the record and playing the record. And that, and those are the two mm -hmm. purest things that I think that you can really be involved in. But here we were making a big ass plan and then the big ass plan got completely derailed anyway, which in a funny way kind of put us back in our comfort zone. <laughs> like, Oh, right. Hey, it, the are. most, the most, the most planned turns into the most chaotic. Right. Yet. Like chaos is the run of jewels comfort zone to some degree. Mm -hmm. Um, because it allows us to just, decide on the spot what feels right as opposed to what we have to do and i think me and mike are both the type of cats who we really tried to make it so that our lives are about what we want to do versus what mm -hmm. we have to do i don't think we're unique in that regard but that's that, that's that's really what our goal has been but for some reason both mike and i felt like i think because of the times because of what was happening because of our sort of even responsibility to the fans like look we knew that people were ready for it. We knew that, in fact, they had been very patient with us about it. Mm -hmm. And um, when we were step two about possibly releasing it and just, you know, postponing it until things were safer, until we had a more guaranteed income, until this operation could really move, we just said that didn't feel right to us. Our gut was like, you know what? This shit needs to be dropped now. I think that it, we thought it was important for multiple reasons. Um, and we didn't know what was going to be the result. We didn't know if that was going to fuck us. We didn't know if, right. if if in a year we were going to be like, yo, I need this fucking money. Right. And that's that's a big deal for me. You know? this, is, this is what we do. And then it came to us that we could drop it earlier. We jumped on it. We said, yes. We just figured, mm -hmm. fuck it. You know, we'll go the opposite direction. We'll just jump out here because some things are more important than our marketing strategy. Right. And we weren't really that type of band anyway. Anything that we had or any momentum that we have, I honestly believe was just because of the first three records. It wasn't because we had, we weren't running advertisements and people, you know, like, right. not a fucking <laughs> movie trailer, you know? Um, right. 
it's just some real typical run the jewel shit, which I'm I'm happy about. Like, yeah, yeah, Let's fuck go. it. Yeah, I look forward to seeing the uh, Run the Jewels movie. It's going to be called F- Fuck It, the Run the Jewels story. <laughs> yeah. I'm really looking exactly. forward to that. Fuck um, it, fuck it, a love story. What do the hands mean this time? We've been charting the uh, development of the the album covers through the Run the Jewels, and this time the hands are gold again. They're taking on a little bit of an abstract shape. Sort yeah. of, sort of yeah. gold. Yeah, there's some gold in there, but mostly black with reflections mm-hmm. of gold and. Well, in our continuing quest to sort of move and gain momentum in, in a direction, you know, I started thinking about how we kind of were getting a little further away from the cartoonishness mm. of what Run the Jewels was. Run the Jewels 3, we took it into a third dimension and we, and we stripped away the chain, which needed to be stripped away for multiple reasons. A, we had found a bigger meaning in just the hands themselves. And B, it's really annoying trying to come up with like a cool chain, you know, um, <laughs> Every time, like, what should we do? A Cuban link, you know, it's just, one, you know. Yeah, you run out of options and, quick. Um, run out of options quick. But as this thing is taking its change and taking, making, you know, making its metamorphosis into something else, it's also becoming less important that it's defined mm-hmm. in a certain, in, a, in any cartoony way. Now, the, the third ones were based on the Nick Gazen drawing. We made three-dimensional statues of, of that. The fourth one, it just felt like it was closer to getting rid of all of that dressing, you know, and sort of getting it closer to an elemental mm-hmm. thing, like something you might find buried yeah. in, uh, you know, in the future. And when I spoke to Sassenti, I was like, I'm, I'm looking for something that will suggest very clearly the run the jewels, pistol and fist but it's way less defined. And we started playing around with different concepts for that. And, and I just was like, man, I couldn't help but want to see some low polygon yeah, shit, yeah, yeah. you know, because the era that I came up in being a kid, for us, the future looked like low polygon shape. Right. That was Tron. Yeah. That was... That was um, the first 3D video know, games. They were all... First yeah. 3D video games. There was the classic Star Wars video right. game. I don't know if you yeah. remember that. That was all... But low polygon shape in some way represented the future. And yet at the same time, we've gone so far beyond that in design aesthetic or whatever. And how do you do that without us feeling like a retro right. you know, thing? But at the end of the day, it was really just the idea of turning this not into two hands, mm-hmm. but more into more closer to a symbol, right. closer to, um, you know, a, um, an archetype. Like it's like the platonic uh, it ideal of, of what run the jewels is. Sure. Or the, yeah, yeah. And also the, um, the essence of, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the essence of the, of the hands without it being the same riff on the same sort of goblin-y, you know, thing. Um, we wanted it to almost be something you could project onto, you know, yeah. and that's actually something that we're, we're doing with, with the hands. Every album we've had big ass hands that we hang that's kind of our one expense <laughs> uh, for, for touring you know uh, besides lights and shit you know keep it really simple we always based our touring idea on run dmc mm-hmm. which was run dmc was doing stadiums with two rappers right. and a dj right. and making that shit thrilling and they might have a big giant run dmc you know behind them so we actually are projecting mm. in light and things onto these because of the way it's shaped but anyway you know, again, let me also tell you that for our last conversation, I decided I should probably 
get pretty stoned. So. <laughs> so celebration. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. If I'm being honest, there was no correlation yeah. between me getting stoned and us talking. I just, I just realized just now that I am really high. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was basically it, man. Just to kind of once again give it more room to breathe. I feel like now that we have this new symbol, it's closer to what it is, really. And it's a bit of a rebirth. Mm -hmm. It's a new template. It's, it, it gives room. Remember we were talking about a, the, the last album and you sort of brought up the idea that the doing the transformation to the goal of hands almost felt like an ending. Yeah. As opposed to, and like kind of, you were sort of seeming to question, like, where does it go from exactly. there? And that's, you were right about that. I think it was the end of the first phase mm. of, of what we were doing to a degree. And Run the Jewels 4 was, in some ways, a fresh and new reboot. We had just done this really intense emotional album that had these strains of sadness and melancholy to some degree that had been woven in it that was a record that we call our blue record mm. you know um and colors of these records often are reflective of the way we feel about the record that's why we made it a blue color palette so run the jewels 4 really did feel like it, it was a fresh blast of energy and it, you know i always sort of imagine that this is like the alchemized hmm. version of that symbolism and those are by the way also photographs that's what really? a lot of people okay no i had no idea mm -hmm. That's amazing. We put the um, a photograph of the actual hands, the models of the hands, somewhere in the artwork. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's in the artwork. But a lot of people don't realize that those are not drawings. Right. That those are actually photographs. And what Tim Sassenti did, who's just a genius, is that he shot all the, because it's got all those different plates and those, those surfaces, those hard edges and those polygons, you can reflect light off of it and it can pick up things. So... He shot those hands in the same position with multiple different lighting, colors of lighting. I see. And then he took them apart and comped them together. Oh, okay. So that's why it has a surreal, your eye gets tricked and right. it doesn't because think that it's a photograph. In real, like, it, there's, there's no way probably to get those real life reflections in one sitting. They had to be composite. Right. right. It's impossible. So that was the whole thing. But yeah, a lot of people, I think, didn't realize that they were photographed, which is fine. A lot of people didn't realize that the third one. Yeah. Um, and Tim Sassenti, who I've been working with since I was sleeping, you're dead, has this really amazing, um, he's a really amazing photographer, but he's also a really amazing, you know, digital artist. Right. You know, he really works the two together seamlessly. He did the same thing in a similar way with uh, I'll Sleep in Your Dead. A lot of people thought that that was actually like a drawing right. or, or just computer computer art. You know, I remember someone was trying to shit on it, being like, oh, you use the Photoshop, you know, flare lights. And that wasn't the case. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the, the case was that we shot this mirror with real smoke and with real lights over it. But Tim is just a master at ob obscuring that, making right. your eye not really know the deal. What are we talking about? <laughs> well, now we're going to talk about Ooh La La, because the goddamn song is so goddamn good. And um, when I listen to the drums on that song, it kind of takes me back to like top villain. Looking for M's like I lost a friend. Jump out of my bed like where the bread. You go hold the egg. Way to bring a check. When we talk, we collision the car. Keep us in your thoughts. We'll be dressed at the crack of dawn. Weapons heading off. MCMI, people call me milk. When I'm busting up a party. I feel no guilt. Like that kind of stump. 
And then what that made me remember was that when you were, you know, in, in the cold flow days, when you were making the fire in which you burned, that was an interpretation along the lines of top billing for you. And as I'm listening to this album, I'm wondering if there's some intention to like kind of looking back to classic boom bap production. Like it almost like it sounds like like inspired by Bomb Squad in a way. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that to some degree, I when I approached this record, I knew that I wanted it to be, you know, first of all, I didn't want it to sound melancholic. You know, I didn't want it to sound blue again. Um, I didn't think that that's what the natural course of, of what we needed to do. That wouldn't be exciting for mm-hmm. us as a sound, and it wouldn't be, you know, you give a synth and keyboard player some weed and like <laughs> unlimited hours in his own studio and he'll come up with some epic shit right. and it'll sound like Blade Runner. You know what I mean? Uh, I made a concerted effort and decision to get back a little bit to some of the other techniques that I used to use. I definitely was like, I'm going to sample more mm-hmm. on this record. I'm going to get back in, into that as a, as a base for sound. I'm going to lean into some of my references in a really obvious way. I never wanted to be too clearly influenced Influenced. by my era right i mean yes it's there it's clear but i always wanted the music to be on its natural course of moving forward and being in the the year that i'm in or a couple years ahead even if you can pull it off but i always looked at run the jewels as something that was not in any way stylistically potentially retro you know (laughs) i didn't want anyone looking like the records that we're making, I'm still, I'm still looking for the future. You know, as a producer, I'm still trying to run into the future as much as I can, while using my influences as a base for my style and for my swing and for for the way I think about music. But this one, it was like, yo, I think that I let go of the of the fear that being referential hmm. was an issue, and I right. just leaned into it. Like, no, actually, I think because we haven't done this because I've been protective of our sound. I never uh. wanted it to be an old sound. It could never be an old sound. This time I was like, you know what? Weirdly enough, that thing that I've been avoiding is the interesting thing to do right now. That's you the know? thing to do. Within the context of the arc of what mm-hmm. we've been doing. And because Run the Jewels had to be in some ways for me a synthesis of everything that I had learned about Run the Jewels that I thought was awesome. Mm-hmm. And taking those things and refining them and bringing it into the future. You know, a record like Ooh La La, I was like, let me start there. That was really one of the first records that I did for the um, album. It was that and Yankee and the Brave. And we recorded both of those in the same day. Back at it like a crack addict, Mr. Black Magic, crack a beast back, power crack a craft, magic, big daddy, smoking big tally in a black, alley in a black, granddaddy, rolling down, old natty house, napping Maddie as a black granddaddy. Wow. Yeah, in a studio I had rented in, in Williamsburg that I ended up ditching after a while because I got in an argument with the landlord. So those two jams were recorded in Brooklyn, Mike, same day. Started with Yankee and the Brave and Ooh La La, straight up, the whole album. And Ooh La La was something that I did because I had always been scheming on sampling Greg Nice. Yes. DJ, DJ. Always, uh, from Dwick. And, yes, um, absolutely. I was like, yo, some days. I, I, it's one of those things as a producer, 
you, you have an idea and you almost, it's almost like you don't do it because you just assume that the second you do it, someone's going to drop it before you. Like it's mm. such an obvious idea. So it's so clear to you because of your reference and because of how much that song meant to me when it came out and how dope Greg Nice is. Right. I just, I just was shocked that no one had gone in and, and pulled that one. So we did it, found the acapella of, of Dwick and sampled Greg. And then we riffed on like a, on a warm, dope sound. And I think that that Absolutely. was really one of the things that I was trying to bring to Runner Jewels for. There was going to be like a fire and a warmth to the shit that where I think Runner Jewels 3 was like, uh, you know, a fucking breezy winter day, you know, like mm. in, in, in a, lot of, a lot of times. So words from the firing squad, you know, speaking of Oh, dad, you're going straight. Arts, you're going straight there. All right. Respect. I got to go. I got to go. Um, it sounds like another ending. This is for my sister Sarah, honey, I'm so sorry you were hurt. This is for the dumb, mama took a knock, had to change the locks. Dusted up and brushed off, and I watched, talk about a boss. For the holders of a shred of heart, even when you want to fall apart. When you're surrounded by the fog, treaded water in an ice cold dark. When they got you feeling like a box, running from another pack of dogs. Put the pistol in the pistol in the air, we are dead, swear to God. Black child in America, the fact that I made this magic. Black and beautiful, the world broke my mama hard and she died an addict. God bless me to redeem her in my thoughts, words, and my actions. Satisfaction for the devil, goddammit, he'll never ever have it. This is for the do-gooders that the no-gooders use and then abuse. For the truth-tellers tied to the whipping post, left beat battle through. For the ones whose body hung from a tree like a piece of strange fruit. Go hard, last word to the fire squad was fucking you too. Is that how y'all meant it to the sound? What, what, what makes it sound like an ending to you? Well, I mean, it sounds like, you know, literal words before an execution. Right. You know, it, sound, it sounds like the end of a movie. Right. You know, it sounds like your heroes are facing death. Um, Except that at the end, we escape. This is the story of a couple of small-time hustlers framed by crooked cops and forced to make a run for their lives. Nothing but a bag of money, a stolen Buick Grand National, and each other to their names. They ain't friends exactly. These guys have a better chance of killing each other than beating odds. No, sir, they're brothers. And when the chips are down, I really don't think you want to bet against Yankee of the Brave. That's, that's the Yankee of the Brave. Yes, that song contains that moment, but it also contains the coda to that moment, which is that you somehow the, the heroes got away and lived to fight another day. And, and then it loops back around into the episode. Right. That was the concept of the jam. That was the whole trick of that jam. That was the point. Mm -hmm. Yes, me and Mike in front of a firing squad and getting some last words and what we might say in that scenario to some degree. You know, ultimately it's fuck you too. And uh, at the end, you kind of don't know if these guys are dead or not, and then here come Yankee and the Brave, and they're, mm -hmm. and then we go into the episode. And it was designed; the whole album was designed as a loop. So when you finish the at the end of few words to the firing squad, the intro to the show comes in, and the cool. very beginning of the album it's this week on Yankee and the Brave. So it literally you're supposed to be able to just play the thing in a loop. So you know the albums are all numbered. This is number four, but then you have this Yankee and the Brave concept, which feels almost like a subtitle for this one. 
It feels almost like if this album had a title other than Run the Jewels 4, it would be The Yankee yeah. and the Brave. Yeah. Where, tell me about where the concept came from and how y'all developed that, that Yankee and the Brave concept. Um, it was it was pretty stupid and easy. I mean, like, <laughs> like it just came out of me. It just came out of something I wrote, like a like a um, okay. the end of. Um, I told you the first jam that we did for the record was mm-hmm. um, Yankee and the Brave and Ooh La La. Yankee and the Brave. At the end of the record, I go Yankee and the Brave here. Blah 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 blah. blah whatever the fuck I say, right? But that's <laughs> the first thing I say is Yankee and the Brave are back, or Yankee and the Brave are here. Um, you know, it's just like just some cute shit to say. But started that it was it wasn't Yankee in the brave. It was like some some other words that meant Brooklyn and Atlanta, essentially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And uh, and then we changed it to Yankee in the brave. And we kicked it. And then I was like, you know, we just thought it was a funny name. We're like, oh man, Yankee in the brave. That's such like a that, that's such a throwback to like some of the old. You know, we might that's like a show we might have watched. When we were kids, right. you know, like after Dukes of Hazard, you know, like Yankee right. and the Brave. And then we both loved it. And me and Mike were from that era. Mike completely loved that idea. And then I got my dude to do the, the voiceover, sort of introduce it like a mm-hmm. television show. This week on Yankee and the Brave. <laughs> and that's just where it sort of started. I mean, that that was, it, it was that simple. It was the first thing we did. And then we kind of created this as a joke. I didn't even think I was necessarily going to use that outro. I didn't know if it was yeah. going to work. I didn't even tell Mike I was doing it. I was like, this is a really, um, really stupid thing here. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> I'm doing a really stupid thing. And, and I wasn't sure where it was going to be. It was too long to be the intro to the album. I knew that this time, you know, like on Run the Jewels 3, there's one calculated risk that we took with the sequencing of that record that I didn't want to do again. And the sequence, usually when we come, come Run the Jewels record comes on, for the first two, it was just straight kick in the door shit. Yes, sir. Just yeah. a face blast. Uh, on Run the Jewels 3, we put the song down first. Simply, mm-hmm. again, because it was not what was expected. And we just are, are dicks about that. We like trying to kind of go a little <laughs> bit against what's expected, you know? Yeah. So it set the tone, I think. It kind of got people ready that that record was going to be not exactly just kicking the door and talk shit. It was going to be equally about who we were. This right. record, I wanted to start off like a shotgun blast. So I didn't really know where that skit was going to go. And when we did a few words for the firing squad, that's what cemented it for me. That's what made that's what hmm. made me know that that would be perfect to use because we wanted this record to give off a different feeling than the last record did. We wanted this record to give off something. I don't want to say hope, but maybe hope. We wanted you to walk away emotionally from this record feeling amped um, and feeling hmm. and 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 also having some joy. Not feeling amped like oh I just got my fucking soul rock and now. I'm amped because I, I learned something. You know, that's not how we wanted you to feel. We yeah. wanted you to feel like we wanted to keep those moments when they were important of depth. But ultimately, we wanted you to walk away wanting to like to fight. Yeah, you wanted the people to have energy to fight the fight. That yeah, was and also happening. feel some joy. And and so for us, humor yeah. at that moment, this is the other thing. We were listening to a few words for the firing squad, and it was so heavy. It was so fucking mm-hmm. heavy. And it was earned, I think, in that record. We really right. waited until the end to get that heavy. Um, and that was what I proposed as well with this record. We, I, wanted, I wanted it to be fewer and more potent 
moments like that. And when they hit, I wanted them to really be felt because you had just gone through a ride. And it was time. It was time mm-hmm. for you to hear that. But we were listening to the shit. And I was just like, yo, if we walk away from this record that the two heroes just died at the end of this shit, then congratulations, we just made a sad record. No matter what, right. no matter how much heat's on this shit, and there's heat on that record. To me, it's the most raw record that we've done, um, and the most refined. It's the most. It's the combination of all of the things that I think we've done well. And it's done sparingly. I genuinely think it's the best record we've done. But we had that skit and I just took the liberty of connecting the two and mm-hmm. prayed that Mike would find humor, prayed that Mike <laughs> would find the humor in it like I did. You know, because it's such an asshole, right. weird move to put Yankee and the Braves at the end of this powerful song where you cannot right. deny the, the, the sincerity of that song. And you know gravity, and the yeah. gravity of that song and then the risk being funny because <laughs> mm-hmm. you really have to be confident that people are going to know that it's funny you really have to be confident right. that you're saying hey we're making a fucking immediate 180 swing from the most genuine thing that you've heard us do this one of the silliest fucking things that you've ever heard us do and because we think that that's a valuable for you to walk away maybe having laughed with Like we beat you the fuck up, but we want you to walk out with a smile, straight up. And so that's that's kind of where it came from, 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 from. And now a word from our sponsors. Back to our convo in just a second, but I wanted to give another shout out to our sponsor, ExpressVPN. Sometimes you want to watch stuff on your television and you bought and you paid for. Sometimes streaming services tell you, we don't have that. But really they do. They have it for other countries, okay? And you deserve to be able to watch whatever the hell you want to watch on your 65-inch flat screen that you bought at Best Buy in their after Christmas sale, okay? And if you want to do that, you should use ExpressVPN, okay? The reasons to use ExpressVPN? ExpressVPN doesn't log your online activity. Most other VPNs, especially the cheap or the free ones, they sell your data to other people. So then it's people doing nefarious stuff in your info and programming uh, weird uh, personalized ads to you for stuff you've been looking at, like that foot cream you was talking about. That's why you see an ad for it, okay? People sell your data. ExpressVPN doesn't do that. ExpressVPN is always blazing fast, and unless you stream the things that you should be able to watch, whatever you want to watch, in HD quality with zero buffering. ExpressVPN is easy to use. No technical skills needed. Just fire up the app and tap one button to connect, okay? Your auntie, your uncle, your nephew, your niece, they can use this as long as they know what a button is, okay? So protect yourself with the VPN that I use and trust. Use my link, expressvpn.com slash what today and get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash what. Visit expressvpn.com slash what to learn more. And now back to your regularly scheduled program. Man, so this album is, like we said, it's barely a year old. I think people are still finding a lot in it. Y'all are yeah. going to get out there and tour. So it's got a whole lot of life left. So we're going to leave that where it is for now and, and let people continue to dig into it. As we transition out, there's one thing. You have a song on here called Never yeah. Look Back. Never Look Back. Never Look Back. which is an interesting notion considering what you and i've been doing all season (laughs) it's just looking back and it makes me curious as we transition uh to some other questions what this process has been like for you to to sit and and go back through your whole career 
Well, first of all, the song Never Look Back is obviously sort of an oxymoron because that's the whole song is looking back. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. so it was my nod to the fact that that's my general perspective. I normally don't really right. look back. And as we've discussed, I think that, and as I've, you know, since discussed with my therapist, my instincts about why <laughs> I never looked back much were pretty on point, which is that it's trauma. You know, mm. I think that when you have trauma, when you're right. young, you don't really form memory. You actually, I found this out. You literally don't form memories in the same way. You have a, a disadvantage. And mm-hmm. to me, I always suspected as much, you know, my personality to not really think about the past and always kind of have my eye on going forward. I always suspected that it was because I was always not happy where I was when I was younger. So the never look back shit was, was a nod to that. Like, you know, hey, never look back, but. The truth is I know that it's healthy. Mm-hmm. The best sort of parallel I could draw to having these conversations with you. It's not my instinct to talk too much about and go into too much detail about all of it um, and why I do it. But I recognize it as like, you know, yeah, sure. Why the fuck not? It's like someone's going to probably do it. It may as well have my perspective involved. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, 100%. Um, but beyond that, 100%. man, nah, man you know, listening to it, I, I like it. It's cool. I like our conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting to explain this shit to myself. Because if, if, if we weren't doing this shit, I, I promise you that... Yeah, you wouldn't nah, be sitting around thinking nah, about half of this shit, nah. right? Yeah. And I think that there are people who really like just are just chomping at the bit to tell their story. And I totally get it. That's, that's cool. I just, my personality, it's kind of like, you know what? My story, even with music, to some degree, is best told as the creation of the music. Mm-hmm. I can try and highlight it and give some background and, and, and give some historical information and emotional information about what went into it. But for me, to some degree, mystery always was important in art. The shit that I didn't right. know. There's something about knowing how. Like right. I put it. To, you remember when Blair Witch came out and everyone was freaking. Like everyone was like, "It's crazy." Yeah. Have you seen this documentary about that? Like. <sighs> So sorry, because it is my fault. Because it was my project. When it, for when, when Blair Witch right, came right, out, right, the right. why Blair Witch, which is a shitty movie, but well, the reason why Blair Witch blew up was because nobody knew if it was real or not, and I knew exactly. people the ambiguity who, were, of it. who had saw that movie and were terrified because. They thought it was real. We're telling me like, yo, I saw this documentary, man, and it's so fucked up. I didn't see Blair Witch until well after I had looked into it. And it mm. was, and I had read interviews and shit, and they were like, yeah, you know, we were outside the tent poking it with a stick. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. And I, well, I, got, I guess I got to see this incredible movie, though. And then you see the movie, and it's like shot with a camcorder, and they're inside a tent, and the tent is moving. And you're like, oh, yeah, there's the guy with the stick. Right. And, you know, <laughs> and quite frankly, it didn't really do much for me. I walked away from it being like whatever little mystery right. and, and suspension of disbelief that needed to be there in order for me to get the full effect of the art was taken away. Was, it was taken away before you even of, got of this there. Scenario. Yeah. And I walked away mm-hmm. from it thinking that the movie sucked. So there's always a part of me that doesn't mm-hmm. indulge too much in explaining and over explaining music and art. Because I do believe that art and music comes from a place that is actually 
not the same place that intellectualism comes from. It's more about symbolism and it's more about emotion than it is about intellectualization. So those are my reservations. That's my, that'd be my reservation traditionally of getting too intricately detailed and trying to break shit down for people. I do manage to hold back about 60% of my thoughts. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're getting quite a bit with that 40 then. That's tight. Um, but people have been enjoying it, as I'm sure you've been able to see uh, since you've been so active and helpful in, in getting the word out about it. And I, I'm sure people are responding with how much they're enjoying it um, on your on your social media. Uh, and there's been a bunch of questions that people have wanted. Uh-oh. Is this the is this the AMA section of the? <laughs> not, not quite, because because I don't like to ask anything, because I'm I don't yeah. want to know everything. You know, it's funny. It's like the other side of the coin of what you're explaining. Right. Like, I want to maintain some mystery too, and I've learned that like some shit you. Yeah, you I mean, my whole my whole response better just not to that to whole know. phenomenon but, has always been like, don't ask me anything. Like you know, ask me anything. Like hell no. What the fuck are you talking about? Like, like if I were to like, <laughs> right. yeah, like, like, you know, don't ask careful. me most things. You walk up to a random person and be like, what, what's that shoe? Is you know, what's that shoe you wearing? Oh, you said, ask, you know, can I just ask you anything? Is that cool? People have definitely wanted to know about a couple of projects in particular. And they were hard for me to try to talk about because they're instrumental projects. And it's hard for me to ask like contextual questions sure, about music sure. that doesn't have words in it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's not the easiest thing to do, but since people ask me about it, um, I'm going to try to get into a couple of these. First is 1999's Little Johnny from the Hospital. Uh, yes. From Company Flow. Um, so what I'm curious about uh, listening to that album is when you were making it, since you're coming out of, since it's built as company flow and you're coming out of having made that album, when you're making these beats, these fire ass beats, did you have any inclination to want to rhyme over them as you guys were making this project? Um, I don't know. I think not really. I think at the time, first mm -hmm. of all, this was the first record we made after Justice had left the group. And me and Len right. were like, you know, we started Company Flow, we'll, we'll finish Company Flow. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, we wanted to keep it going. I came up with the idea of doing an instrumental album, I think because I wanted to get some money. That was like, I, I was like, oh, we could probably get like 10 grand for this shit. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? And we did. But it was just an idea of something to do that I was, you know, like, man, I want to make some shit, but I don't know really yet what the fuck is my future with rapping. Mm -hmm. I got to be trying to figure out what the next Cold Flow album will be, or if I was eventually ultimately going into a solo record. I didn't know anything at the time. But it was just an idea. I think that my production and what I was doing and where I was going with it had started to become more layered and a little bit more structured. I had done some remixes and some things and some instrumental tracks for random sort of compilations and things, right? Yeah. I have done maybe like three or four instrumental tracks. So I started to really make music with structure. Whereas with Company mm -hmm. Flow, it was just trying to make beats to rap to. And the structure would maybe be a hook or maybe be a breakdown or whatever. But for the most part, it was just trying to find a nasty beat to, to rap on. So I had kind of started to lend my production style to pieces that could stand on their own a little bit. But we really hadn't done it that much. And, right. and also, Len had really 
come in the company flow as a full-on producer. He had done, mm -hmm. contributed to the Fun Crusher Plus album. He did the, the little outro, the Fun Crush Scratch thing. He, yeah. sent, he found the record and did the loop and did a little chop for the um, intro to Last Good Sleep. And he also co-produced Loon TNS with Just. But he, mm -hmm. I knew that he had, was coming in his own as a producer as well. And me and him had grown really close. And we knew that our next project was going to be us together. And so the idea of that was just to kind of us going 50-50. And we both contributed, you know, probably, I don't know, 50% of the beats to that record. There was an intersection of beats also that we worked on together. So Where? there were at least like four or five ones on there for each of us, I think we individually produced. Mm -hmm. And that was the record where I think it kind of prepared me for the type of production that I was doing that ultimately would go to Cannot. Like that was the zone I was in. Right. I was starting to develop. And if you listen to that record, you can hear it. I'm starting to develop you can hear that it for zone. Sure. It's a moodier zone and it was uh, different than what Company Full sounded like. And that's why I think that was the stepping mm -hmm. stone there. Of course, when we did the record, that was sort of also the end of our relationship with Rock. That's the story of that, I guess. You talked about when you're making Run of Jewels 4 that you wanted to incorporate more samples in a Run of Jewels 4. And listening to Little Johnny from the Hospital, there's a lot of samples in that because that's a production yeah. style that you were known for at the time. As much as you can encapsulate it, what would you say your relationship to sampling has been over the course of your career? Well, I mean, at first, it was the, the absolute main component of the way that I made music for many years. And it started the same way that it starts with everyone, which is just literally trying to lose something. And then it mm -hmm. developed and started into little bits of pieces of things. And then my music started to become a huge collage of a bunch of little pieces and samples and twisted pulls. But it was all a turntable and a sampler. So I would say that my, my sampling relationship is very intimate. That was the cornerstone of what I do. And then it changed and developed and expanded over time. And then there were records that I got almost fully away from. It. Um, right. But it's always a part of it's the building blocks of the way that I learned how to make songs. Self-taught hip-hop musician, essentially. You know, I, I, wor I worked right. my way backwards from getting really good at collage stuff and creating my own creations and things that were, you know, you weren't going to drop the needle and be like, that's that song. You know, you might hear a sound though. So my relationship to sampling, by the time I got to Run the Jewels 4, and I've never completely stopped sampling, but it's just a whole different production approach and technique that I developed over the years that still kept the style of, and, the, and the tones and the things in my head that were sort of what my artistic voice is, but just constantly doing different things and looking for different sources. To do. What I hadn't really done even in my own career was go really intentionally, obviously sampling something. You know what I mean? Right. Like I hadn't, like, like for instance, on Brother Jules 4, Ground Below, we sampled a song that was a, just an out, the first song, that was the first version of Ground Below, not to dip too far back in, but it's an explanation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. The Ground Below was a totally different song than the one that got released. The first version of Ground Below, we had sampled someone who will remain nameless, and mm -hmm. we made this song out of it and it was incredible and the hook was incredible and it was a sampled hook and it was really uh, a full-on like hey do you think we have the pull to like do this can we do a not only high profile, high profile artist, artist it sounds like we, yeah same uh, or yeah i mean not high profile in modern times but uh, someone who yeah mm -hmm. but like doing something as an obvious sample isn't something that i did that much and it felt like something cool that could be done you know at, at this point in my career it was like you know i spent so much time not wanting to just be someone who's just straight up pulling from records and i wanted my sound to be unique and now 
right. enough time has gone along that if I do that, that's different for me. So I was looking for something to sample that could be identified. That could be like, oh, they flipped that. Because that's one of the cornerstones of being a producer in hip hop. Everybody knows Nautilus. Everybody knows all the classic breaks. Everyone knows a lot of things. You know, there's a bevy of things that are woven in the tradition of hip hop production that producers know it's not about whether or not someone used the shit before. It's about how you used it. And if you can flip it in a way that no one had thought of and still make it that people understand that you're doing that, that's cool. In the producer world, there's a thrill to that. Like, yo, can I take... Can I take, what is it, the Sylvester's uh, or, or the, who I sent? Yeah, Sylvester's, I believe, for um, Out of Sight with two chains on it, run the jewels mm-hmm. for. That was another one where I was like, yo, this is the same shit the DLC used. This is the same shit that other groups have used. It's been used multiple times throughout the years. Do I have the guts and the you know, am I enough of an asshole to try and to try and take this and make it mine? Despite to try to find one more way to flip this classic, classic not sample. only classic song yeah. originally, but also classic hip hop song, one that influenced mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. hugely. Huge producer, yeah. Dr. Dre did that shit. Like that's important. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. am I enough of a dick to do this? Can I can I flip this thing and so that someone listening to it will be like, yeah, that's that but he did it in a way that no one had done it before. He did it in a, in a way that no one had expected. My relationship to sampling on Run the Jewels 4 was that. It was like, yo, let me bring in mm-hmm. some things, let people know that I'm clearly doing this and be brave enough and kind of on my own dick enough to be like, but now it's mine. <laughs> and and mm-hmm. so the other thing about the ground below is that we were on the verge of a deal with this dude to do this record. He wanted 100% of all of the publishing. No, oh. hold up. He wanted a hundred percent of the publishing. In other words, all the lyrics you wrote and everything over it, I still say it's my song. We're not, I know I don't even want to give you shit, but you can use it, mm-hmm. but I just get all the money, all the publishing, all the math, everything. Even still, we were like, you know what, man? Okay. Cause that's the game. Wow. Cause it's your shit. It's your shit. I know that I'm coming to you. I know that I'm asking you to just be like, no. And, and they got all the leverage. They, you have all the leverage, the but we have leverage too. The leverage is we could either use it or not. We that's you know right, 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 right. So we said okay, hundred percent. All right, bet. And it kept going on, kept going on. Mixed the shit, but the deal wasn't done. And at the last minute, mm. the dude decided like I decided not. I'm watching. And yeah, and, and that threw us for a loop. But then the Gang of Four shit came in, and I have to understand. I'm a lifelong Gang of Four fan. I have been listening to this record mm-hmm. Ether forever. I had wanted, I had looped it up about a million times. I had wanted to use it in some way. I had wanted to figure out one day I'd fantasize by using it. And then here I was again, and I was being confronted with like this jam that really rounded the album out, being being gone and maybe us missing our street date and shit, you know? And that could have been a disaster and it could have been, fuck it, the song's not on there. And then, you know, the skies parted and opened up and I remembered that I love this group and that this song is something that this might be the perfect place for me to finally use this thing that I've loved since I was a kid. RTJ. The God. The God killer. This Tokyo and I'm Godzilla. Playing Black Jack versus Death Gun on the car dealer. Jess bought a demon. I'm screaming up out the car dealer. The last temptation. 
and it worked out even better and it was even doper and it was exactly what needed to happen for the song and, and all of that stress and everything was what needed to happen because we needed to make get come to that song the only reason i'm even going on about this is because just to point out that the sampling that I'm doing is like directly connected to my life and my inspiration and my lineage as a musician right. and the shit that thrilled me. Shit that you fuck with, yeah. Right, and that's what Run the Jewels 4 was about, was was really bringing and embracing in all of the things in a pure way, everything that we mm-hmm. love about musically as well as lyrically and everything that we were bringing into the lineage of what we were doing in the record. And so that's a different place to be in terms of looking at sampling. And where I was when I first started and where I was with Company Flow and Little Johnny from the Hospital and, you know, Cannibal Ox and all the records up until Cancer Cure, I don't know, where it was like, no, this is my main way that I make music and I'm, and, I, and I'm trying to construct things that if I'm doing my job right, no one will know where the fucking sample is mm-hmm. and where it isn't. So that's kind of my relationship with it. I don't make music, like right now I'm making a record that there, where there are no samples. Um, and mm-hmm. this is not a Run the Jewels record. I'm just making a, doing a thing. I'm using all analog drum machines and all analog synths and all analog and kits and music and instruments. And it's only just because it's all just a rotating bag of tools and tricks for me in terms of keeping myself excited about music. Sound is sound for me. You know, um, mm-hmm. that's, that's it. Like sound is sound for me. I don't have any specific, um, apart from that sentiment that I'm talking about, which is, giving something to people as a sample that they are, that where you're saying, raising your hand and being like, hey, look at me, I'm sampling. <laughs> you know, like right. that I recently have found really interesting. One day, I swear to God, one day I'm just going to make a whole rap record on an Sonic EPS 16 plus again. Like that, that's, <laughs> that's going to happen, you know, at some point just on some fuck it shit because I spent yeah. so many years with this machine and it taught me how to make music. Mm-hmm. And it was such an art, and so fun to really dig in and pull sound and, and make collage art and all that shit. And I loved it. It was, it was a huge part of me. So I'll do that one day. Hey, first of all, I just want to say that was an amazing fucking story. And I want to take a sec just to thank you for so many amazing fucking stories throughout the time that we've been talking. Um, Stuff that might not seem like the most interesting thing to you as it's coming out of your mouth has given so much insight into this music. And I think, you know, we exist in a genre where we typically don't get a chance to add a lot of context. So I just wanted to Mm. say how much I appreciate shit like that. Cool. Well, I mean, and, and, and since this is the last one, thank you for being a great conversation and people are recognizing that you got to know like that like yeah, for, yeah, people for sure. really see that you're that you're really good at talking about music with people and that you're and thank you for having clearly listened and knowing and having a genuine interest because i don't think this conversation would have probably gone on for 12 episodes if, if it was yeah, if, you if know i wasn't so tell me <laughs> yeah, about I wasn't into you know, it. tell me about rap <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. i appreciate that speaking of analog music Real quick, I want to touch on 2004's High Water. Um, analog like a motherfucker, yeah. Exactly, as analog as it gets. Um, first of all, who is the Blue Series Continuum? Because I hadn't heard of them before. They um, were um, they were a that. group of um, Matthew Ship, who was the main sort of guy, um, was a famous jazz piano player. William Parker, who was a famous bassist. Um, um, and I'm stoned, so I'm not going to try and rattle off everybody's no name. But it was no a group worries. of it was a group of musicians who were putting jazz records out. They created this thing 
Blue Continuum series. It wasn't like they were a band. It was like they started doing these projects that they held by, by Matthew Ship. His perspective was that jazz needed to not just stay in its own lane. Jazz needed to mingle, co-mingle with other types of musicians and other types of mm -hmm. music thinkers, you know, uh, and creators. So they started doing collaborations with different types of producers, some from the hip hop world. They did one with Antipop Consortium. They mm -hmm. did one with me. So basically it was just them trying to throw themselves into the hands of someone else and see what the result. Because just mm -hmm. like any other form of music, especially something like jazz, now, now this is free jazz too. Like all, right. all of these musicians were essentially anarchists. They were all classically trained up to a certain point, but then they were too goddamn ill to even bother with yeah. that, you know, they, they were trying to get to the purest form of what the music was. It was a movement right. and it was something that produced a lot of amazing music in the past. And like anything that starts without rules, it started to, I think you could say, not as a criticism, but as an observation, that if you have the same non-rules for 50 years, then they become rules, you know? Um, right. That was my perspective on it. It was like, what do you do with, with people who aren't reading off music, don't know where the song is going to end, but at the same time, they're all sitting in a room and they're all playing. They're all sort of freestyling, as we would call it, all this mm -hmm. music. And then they're really in tune with each other and they're watching each other and they crescendo. And they all, all of a sudden, you're, you're in the room with these, all these dudes and they're all standing up at the same time. Like no one said Whoa. anything. No one, you know, there was nothing on a piece of paper that said this is when we crescendo. And all of a sudden they're all standing up and they're crescendoing and they're, and then they're breaking down. They've played with each other and they've played with this type of structure of music so much that even in the, in the, in the type of music where there are no rules, there is a sort of unspoken um, structure mm. to the shit that's all based on, you know, their experience and their, and their vibe from, from what they've done before. So I was asked to come in and produce it. And of course I was terrified. I took mad long to think about, I, I took <laughs> mad long to think about it. And I was like, mm, I don't know. Let me think about it. And a week went by and I was like, all right, well, you know, let's get up the bravery to do this. And I was like, all right, I've decided I'll do it. I'll do the song. And they were like, no, no, no album. <laughs> I was like, mm -hmm. literally thought they were asking me to do a song. And, and I was, wow. and, I, and I was scared to do that at the time. They were like, nah, actually, we meant will you do the whole album? And I was like, oh, fuck. And so like anything, I had to think about what my approach might be or what my values to that, that situation might be because I really am just a self-taught bedroom beat-making musician motherfucker. And that's where I was. Mm -hmm. And I had gotten pretty far in my own experience with that. But getting in a room with people and being the driving force behind it but not being the main artist behind it, wasn't something I was particularly used to, and especially working with those types of musicians. So I had to think about what it was that I might be able to contribute to that, and that also might be able to bring into my own world and make it work for me. And what I settled on was two things. A, I would bring some music in. I would create some shit and some, and that had vibe and tone and direction, and I would bring that in, and they would play to that. They would freestyle to that. Mm -hmm. So at least I knew that whatever I got it was in the tone of something that I already was in the key and in the structure to some degree of what I already knew I liked and would an idea that I was pursuing as a beat. Right. The second thing that I did was I, much to their at first chagrin, but then ultimately their mm -hmm. acquiescence was that I brought in sheet music. Really? Yep. So I hit my dad up 
who's a, a jazz pianist and singer who I've never did I had never done anything I'd never worked with never done anything. he kind of retired from music and and I asked him I kind of tricked him I said because also I kind of looked at it like maybe an opportunity to fit my father into this situation interesting so I hit him up and I was like, "Hey, Dad, I'm doing this record, and I want to, I want to have these guys basically cover some standards. I want to hear what their version of a, of a standard would be, because I knew that they were essentially, like I said, anarchists. Um, mm-hmm. When it came to, they didn't fucking look at sheet music. When I when I presented them with sheet music that my father had picked, he had given me a three or four choices that he sang. So he would, he sat at the piano and he sang them for me. You know, he sent me what they were, and I got the sheet music. And I ended up picking this one. Long story short. I took some of the songs that he had picked and I, and I got the sheet music and I brought it in mm-hmm. and I handed it out. And they were kind of <laughs> like, and they were kind of like, what the fuck? Yo, man, I haven't, I haven't read sheet music since I was, you know, 30. Mm-hmm. And these dudes are 60, you know, 70. Some of them. There was a little grumbling. There was a little, but they were, but they were game. They were like, all right, well, fuck it. And so that was the other component of it. So I had them riffing on things. Cause I, I was like, man, that's like only, well, probably the only thing I can provide you is like the one rule that you have, like the thing where you're the most free, like maybe I can take that away from you, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and it'll, and it'll jostle this thing into a different result. Wow. Not that your results that you gotten before were bad, but we're looking for a new result here. Right. And so those are the two elements that I had. I had them, I had them improvising to things that I had created at home and I had them playing different standards and things in their way that had already been established. And then I would take those in and turn them into chop them and turn them into structured songs. So it was this really weird back and forth process of me, like just trying to figure out why, like, why the fuck am I here? Like, what what can Mm -hmm. I do? And that was what I could do, you know? And I, and my father ended up singing this like tragic, I don't know if he knew he was doing this shit, or if he was trying to send me a really heavy-handed message, but <laughs> it was, Shit. you know, he, you're hearing your father sing this song called "Yesterday" when the moon, you know, when the moon was blue or whatever. And he's just like this lament about all the mistakes he's made in his past and the people he's been, in, you know, an asshole to mm. and he's loved and and you know now he's he's at the end of his life and he's alone and I'm listening to this fucking song of my father singing this shit. And I'm just like, come on, man. Like this is, you know, this is just too, this is low hanging fruit. Like just say, say it to me, dude. Like, you know, like <laughs> you don't have to sing it to me like shit. You know, and it was really powerful. It was really powerful to hear my dad say it because my dad, I get the feeling does have a lot of regret as I'm sure anybody with a bunch of empathy and a bunch of self-reflection when they get to their later years, anyone who's worth a damn probably wishes they they could have changed some of the ways that they acted in the past. So that's how I took it. I don't take it like, oh, you lived a tragic life, but it was this really powerful jam. And that became one of the centerpieces of, and it was a standard. It was something that was, you know, but here's my father choosing it. He could have chosen anything. Wow. It was like a Rorschach test, you know, like choose some songs, dad. And he was like, here's one about my tragic regret, you know, and you're just like, oh, <laughs> oh shit, you know, and, but you know, so that, so he's on the record and that made, that was a big sort of re- one of the reasons why I did the record in the first place, because I had a suspicion and a plan to rope my dad into it. So I could at least say before my recording career is over that I did something with my father. That's awesome. And I'm glad we did touch on that album just 
if if alone for the fact that you know we got to rope a story about your dad into the yeah, pod because we yeah. hadn't we hadn't done that at all in telling your story. So yeah, we're telling your story, and this is a hip hop story, and I've been adamant about trying to keep it all positive because I like to celebrate the people that we have on this program. But it's a hip hop story, <laughs> and sometimes beef is a part of hip hop, mm. and. What I'm not necessarily interested in is focusing on specific dramas and naming names and shit like that. Uh, but what I am interested in is is where you sit right now when you reflect on the beefs you had because you went at some people legendarily on wax. <laughs> uh, like it, you know, like it was it was not you know shit was not left uh, up to detective work to figure out you know who you was going at. And I wonder when you reflect back on that stuff, and since that's not something you do often, um, like what do you what do you think about that? What do you think about battles on wax in your career? In, in my in, in my career, um, yeah, uh, I don't know, man. Shit, I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm still a rapper, dude. I know it. I know it. Like that's real. Um, that being said, you know, I'm not on it. Like that's, I don't have that type of shit pop up anymore, but you know, at a certain point right. in my life, if you came at me and I was, I was more than willing to, to hand you back a, a, a hot coal to put in your, in your palm. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and that's basically it. I mean, come on, man. We all, we yeah. all fucking grow up and none of it is that serious. And it's like, then that's, and that's kind of what I kind of want to get at too. I, like, I, I also wonder, and this may or may not have happened if you ever like got cool with oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. used to be totally. with. That's totally. good. I don't that's have any, I don't have any lingering peace in my life. I just did that. No, I, do, I do not participate in that. Don't, I don't do it in my regular, my personal life either. There's very few people in my life that I've ever had to completely walk away from. And there have been a few, mm -hmm. but the fact of the matter is, yeah, man, come on. I'm, I'm not on it like that. I genuinely don't like discord at this point in my life. And I'm, but like, Beautiful. but just on some, on some rap shit though. Awesome. You know, I, you know, if you, yeah, you catch me at 25 and you say, you know what I mean? Like, you know, <laughs> I, you know, it is what it is, man. I mean, shit. This is still this is still rap music. I mean, I came I still came up still a sport. As, as a battle rapper, straight up. Mm -hmm. And again, not in a competitive battle rap scene. That was the angle that I came at as an MC. Mm -hmm. and just like mm -hmm. you know, I'm on some rap shit. Like I'm I'm destroying my my invisible rap enemies. You know what I mean? Right. Like, <laughs> you know, but that's all. It's all. It's when you're young and you start rapping. That's kind of what it is. You, you know, you you got invisible yeah, exactly. enemies in your head, and you're coming up with the most creative ways to destroy them. Um, and then 100%. sometimes it's people. Sometimes it's visible <laughs> sometimes people. They, sometimes yeah. they they really do exist. And and um, <laughs> and then you know if that's the case, you know you have a choice. You know, and just like anybody has go. a choice to say some shit, say some shit, then there might be a result. I don't know. I mean, honestly, man, there's nothing deep about it at this point. Yeah, I've, I've made a couple of diss records to a couple of cats that I thought dissed me, that had dissed me. You mm -hmm. know, so I was just like, yeah. "All right, here you go. This is the result of that." Yeah, you wasn't you wasn't out you wasn't out there unsolicited shit, no people. It was it was real battles back yeah. at the time. Like it it was happening. Yeah. But again, you know, end of the day, that was I'm, I'm so far removed from those things. I'm totally have no issue with anybody. You know, it's all good. That's great. That's great to hear. And I thought that, yeah. but that's also just great to hear. But Anyway, let that be that. Um, three rapid fire questions, as rapid as you can answer, as we prepare to wrap this whole thing up, all under the category of what's next for you. Uh, one, any inclination to do more solo rap stuff at the moment? At the moment? 
Yeah. That's not what I'm working on at the moment. I know that that's come up a few times in our interview and uh, I mean, in our interviews uh-huh. and I, I'm totally open to whatever, honestly, Where? that might happen at some point. All I've ever maintained is that I don't know, which, which is, is the, the truth, abs- which is, which is the <laughs> truth, which is the total truth. Um, right now I'm not working on a solo album. Yeah. Where? Uh, second question, any dream collab you want to put out into the universe right now? Something that's outside of your reach that you're just gonna fucking wish into existence. Oh goddamn you! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me a second. Uh, fuck. Who do I want? Who's a dream collab? I don't know, man. I mean, you know, uh, a lot of the dream collabs have passed away in the last five yeah. years. You know, that's real. That's straight 100% up true. Like, like, uh, like nine, like yeah. two from bowie probably i mean you know like, prince and bowie yeah. and you know same year george yeah. michael you know like right that was like you know jesus is getting a house band together or some shit like god damn <laughs> motherfucker must be having a party but that's real too that's real too i think i think that's that's as valid of an answer as as any considering um how vast your actual musical network is like i think you know to try to put something in the category of 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 dream um it's only fair that you include people who are now no longer for with sure us. for so sure and, and i'm open to um i'm open to collaboration in general um for especially with you know people that i admire sometimes i have a wish list and sometimes i just can't think of it sometimes I'm, because i think my whole approach mm-hmm. to collaboration even on these records has always been there's a song and it needs it needs right. an energy it needs something it's not mm-hmm. that there's a person mm-hmm. and that person needs that right. that person needs a song you know, um, not right. every person that you admire is someone that you really need to insert yourself into their musical legacy. True. You don't, it don't, it don't always, always make, make sense. sense, but also it's not always, it's just, to me, it's not the purest way into the thought. To me, the purest way into the thought is being inspired. And then you can't help but hear someone on the ship. And, and then yeah. that's when you start engaging in your dreaming. Because you have a category of types of people who you want to hear on something. And who can I? Who would I get if I could get anyone who's around still? Okay, how about this? We definitely tried to get Elton John on Run the Jewels uh, mm. four, and we we wow. almost did. Elton John was down. We had a, a hook that I had written, and it was for Goonies versus ET. And originally that beat was totally different. Mm. It was the whole string thing. You'll hear in the hook that my voice is chopped and screwed. It's like slow, it's slowed down. But originally I was just singing it as a demo. We were trying to get it to Elton John. I had gone through a few people to get it to him. Elton John is a Run the Jewels fan. He's made that clear. That's and awesome. he was like, yeah, he was on tour. And he was like, I'll be here on this date and here on this date. And it just ended up not being possible. So I would definitely like mm-hmm. to fulfill that at some point. Yeah, I'll throw that out there. Yeah, what up, Al? That's real. Get at me, Al. Wonderful. <laughs> Anything else you just want to fucking say to people on the way out? Again, thank you, man. Seriously, thank you. It's been a great conversation, and, and I, I hope it wasn't too fucking mind-numbingly wordy. Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan, man, and um, it to me, it's always it's been a privilege just to be able to pick your brain about this stuff that I've been, this music that I've loved. You know what I'm saying? So it's 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 really been a, a a privilege to me. But I wanted to make sure to say this: you're a free man. <laughs> but I don't want my freedom anymore. It's a, it's a, it's it's the health it's the health thinking effect. It yeah. worked. <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna hit you up at like four in the morning and be like, "Yo, I had some thoughts about little Johnny from the hospital, man. I'm, can we just talk? Can we talk a little bit?" Well, you know, 
I'll, I'll, fi- I'll fire up the old, uh, fire up the old Congratulations PC for you anytime, the, uh, man. You know, being the emotional <laughs> receptacle for uh, years and years of, of pent-up stories. Um, <laughs> all right, brother. Hey, be good, Mike. I appreciate you. You too. You too. You too. Stony Island Audio.